Hey, I'm Amber. And I'm Becca. And this is Forward Farming. Hey guys. Welcome back to Forward Farming. Hi, Hi. Becca. Welcome back. <laughs> Hi. Hi. It's been a while. How how are you? How are things going? We're hanging in there, adjusting to to Hello, life with the newborn. Joe thinks I'm talking to him, so he <laughs> keeps talking back. Uh, no, we're doing good overall. Good. And uh, little baby Jackson is doing well. Yeah, we just had a two week checkup today, uh, and he's back. He's almost eight pounds now, so he's over his birth weight. He's doing good. Good. That's good. And uh, you're getting enough sleep? Trying to anyway? Yeah. Some nights are better than others, but he usually lets me sleep like two or three hours at a time. That but is, that is that's I mean, encouraging. important stuff, so I'm not... I don't know. People are always like, oh, that sucks. And I'm like, that's what a newborn does. Like, they mm -hmm. don't sleep very long because they want to eat so I don't know not getting too salty about it I feel, yeah. I'm kind of getting to be the same way like every two hours gotta eat right on schedule right I have the opposite problem now I oh, oh making his first guest appearance <laughs> uh, oh there was a burp we're good now okay <laughs> What was the question? <laughs> uh, just if you're surviving, okay. Oh, yeah, we're doing great. No, oh, yeah, no. My biggest problem is that I have, like, zero appetite. I have to make myself eat. And it's quite annoying because I know I have to eat to produce mm -hmm. milk. And I don't feel like it. So that sucks. But. Is there anything in particular that you're just kind of, like, craving? Or, like, are your cravings oh, gone no. and it's just nothing? I want I want nothing besides like water. I mean, at least you're at least you're drinking water. Cheers to that. Yeah, I got that going for me. Well, we're gonna try you? to keep. Oh, yeah, we're gonna try to keep this intro short because I know you're busy. Life is busy, so. Um, Becca just wanted to hop on here and say hi, and so. Do you want to do some highs and lows while we got you on? Sure. Do you want to start with some, with a, <laughs> or maybe Joe wants to do some highs and lows. I should like take the microphone off. Maybe then he'll know that I'm not talking to him. <laughs> um, yeah. So what's your high for, I don't know, the last month, <laughs> the week? Um, this week I was able to hop on a couple of different podcasts, which was pretty exciting. Um, I think I can only talk about one right now. So I went on the front porch podcast. I think that's what it's called. Um, <laughs> with Mary and Angela, and we talked about, uh, they were very interested in what it was like to be pregnant while farming. So they asked a lot of, um, nitty gritty questions that a lot of people 
usually don't talk about, but I have no problem talking about it. So it was, it was a fun conversation to have just kind of like the blessings and the lows of um, your roles changing on the farm through pregnancy. So that was really great. And that episode is out now. Um, if you guys want to check that out. And they were also kind enough to send us over a copy of the, uh, my interview with them. So we're kind of keeping that as like our freezer meal type episode. So uh, whenever I happen to go on maternity leave, we have that kind of just in our back pocket to whip out and, and post for you guys because it is, I think it is a good conversation. Um, there's a lot of laughs and it, it just felt like a conversation between friends and it was really, it was really fun. So I'm glad I got to do that one. Another one is coming out um, in the fall, I think closer to our, our harvest season. So I'll talk about that one later, but that one was pretty exciting too. So that was my high for this week. Anyway, it seems like time is just flying by and I'm not ready for it too. <laughs> We're in the one month. We are officially one month away and it's exciting it's like exciting. any little any little like ache or pain it's like oh god is this it <laughs> so we'll see we kind of have um a bet going with my family like a pool I guess on when the day is gonna be I think the earliest someone said was August 11th and that's only like two weeks away and I'm like holy shit <laughs> let's let's hope not <laughs> I mean, no pressure, but August 3rd is my birthday, so like if you wanted to have it on my birthday, I wouldn't be mad. That'd be a little early, but I wouldn't a be little, mad. A little early, but that might be okay. I feel like this child is just going to like get up and walk out pretty soon because my belly is just hanging that low where I think it's just going to I remember that with Joe, like there was always so much pressure and I'm just like, oh my God, you're just going to bloop. Which he like, kind of did by the time he came, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I would be okay with that too. Maybe, I don't know, as long as we have enough time to get to the hospital, because we do have an hour drive to get there. So hopefully it's not like crossing my legs the entire driving, like, Dan, you gotta go. <laughs> that would be my worst nightmare, but like, oh, I'm pretty lucky that I'm only 20 minutes away. Mm -hmm. Um. But like to be an hour away and you're like, oh, I don't know. Do we go? Do we not go? Like with you, that's a big commitment to go. Yeah, because I don't know what this is like. I don't know what things are supposed to feel like. So um, I think even if things feel slightly off, I think we're just going to go up just to be safe than sorry. And if it's like, well, maybe just go back home for a couple hours and come back. I think we'd rather just like rent a hotel room and like trash the hotel room then drive back home and drive back up again <laughs> I would probably do the same thing if I was that far away how about you what's uh, <laughs> when you're high um we went to the cabin yesterday which was nice that was like the first family outing we had um so yeah, we went and we put all our trail cameras up and then there's a pond there. So the kids fished for a while and then they swam. It was nice to get away. I was exhausted by the time we got home because 
not that I've been doing nothing, but I've pretty much been doing nothing at home. <laughs> like I go out for less than a couple hours. So the whole day away was long, but everyone had fun and we survived. So it was nice. Is he pretty, is Jackson pretty mild mannered? Yeah, so the far? only time he really cries is if he's got gas, which isn't too often. And then he just, he likes to cuddle a lot, <laughs> which I enjoy. He's just the sweetest little peanut. He's just all curled up on you and it's just so cute. <laughs> and then How? there's a monster Joe in the background. <laughs> I'm trying to eat his chips. <laughs> Oh, he didn't even go get his chips. Now he's taking wipes out of a thing, but he's being quiet, so I'm just letting it be. <laughs> do what you gotta do. Yep, I'll throw them all right back in there when he's done. How about a low? You got a low? Um, I think my low is just the fact that I can't eat. It's just, mm -hmm. it's like, it's super frustrating. And like, when I like have to make myself eat, then I feel even worse. Um, so yeah, I don't, I go in for my two week checkup tomorrow. Good. So I'll mention it to her. I don't, maybe something's off with my blood levels or something. I don't know. We'll see. But I like vaguely remember it with Joe, but not this bad. That just sucks. Well, good luck. Hopefully it's some easy fix yeah. or something, but Mommy. what about um, you? What's your low? My low, probably my dog. My he, <laughs> He's an angel. <laughs> I don't know what happened like within this last week or so, but uh, he's just been a raging teenager. So I don't know if he's like, I don't know if he's just going through like um, a teenage phase or if he is sensing the change in hormones, um, knowing that the baby's getting closer and it, it's kind of like sinking in for him, but he has just been a little terrorist towards me anytime I take him out by myself I have to like bring distraction toys so he isn't roughhousing with me because he's too we're both too big for that <laughs> so we're trying to find ways to keep him entertained throughout the day when we're both at work and try to burn some energy off so he's not quite so rambunctious when I come home and and have to deal with him so it's a couple more walks a day um and trying to find ways to keep him busy. But he's also been just a little terrorist with Winnie too. So I kind of think it's just going through an age thing. Cool. I don't know. His terrible twos of dog ears. I think so. <laughs> he's just a little monster. So uh, one day this week, I, I told Dan, I was like, we are shipping him back to Iowa where he came from. I don't want him anymore. Put him up for adoption. Um, but then after that, I think he heard the message loud and clear and he's been a little bit nicer, but still little, little terrorist bear. Poor guy. I do think they sense that, that something's coming. So maybe he's just, maybe it's just a mixture of everything. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But, um, Plus, like, all the baby stuff that you probably have coming into your house and stuff. He's just like, what is this? Like, true. with some animals, they go nuts if you, like... Oh. Down goes Joe. <laughs> um, I was saying, like, when people, like, have 
uh, suitcases out and like then the animals like sense that they're going somewhere and then they freak out yeah maybe that's what's happening um let's see goals for the week do you have any other than to just survive and eat survive survive and eat uh yeah that's pretty much it i got our doctor's appointment tomorrow and i don't think we have anything else happening mom i just saw a movie you just saw a movie yeah um yeah survive maybe working on a little bit more sleep i like had all these things i wanted to do you know at how at home now that i'm like not working for a little bit but none of that's happened because if if he's sleepy and i'm usually just laying down chilling out which i know is just as important so maybe in the next couple of weeks i'll get some more energy back joe and sophia oh, are going all... <laughs> he emptied all the wipes out of the one there wasn't many left so then he went and got another full one and he said i got more wipes <laughs> He's just trying to help you out. Maybe little Jackson is extra stinky and he just wants that cleaned up. Apparently. Apparently. Um, My goal for the week, I have a doctor's appointment coming up on Wednesday for my 36-week appointment. Um, So I have an ultrasound, I think, on Wednesday just to make sure everything's going well. Um, and things are in the right position. <laughs> and um, and then after that, I have my weekly appointments after that. So, so exciting. It's, it's coming. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, my, my goal, I don't know, is just to make it, make it through. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just taking it day by day. <laughs> well, it's just surviving. Yes. Tonight we have um, a very special guest joining us on the show. Uh, We have Jenna from, she's also a cranberry grower from Wisconsin that I know pretty well. She um, grew up on a cranberry marsh and then she has a, um, she has a little side business that she has with her boyfriend where they train horses, show horses, which is really interesting And we kind of talk about how her passion of horses led her away from the farm and how she came back eventually, but still kept with her passion. So stick around for Jenna. She has a great interview and let us know what you think. I'm excited for that. Sounds like it's going to be a good one. It should be. It should be. So let us know what you guys think. And uh, thanks, Becca, for (laughs) taking a couple of minutes. Hopefully we'll see you next hey, week. You know, got the kids I all got the kids all situated. Thought, I oh hey, we can knock out an intro really fast. No. Nope, nope, nope. Welcome to mom life. <laughs> we tried. Alrighty. Hey guys. I am joined tonight. I'm very excited for my guest. She is a fellow cranberry grower, so I'm excited to talk all things cranberry with her. And she also um, does some horse training on the side. And I have no idea um, about any of that side of the world. So I'm sorry, Jenna, if I sound like an idiot. But (laughs) tonight I am joined by Jenna Dempsey. 
Um, she, like I mentioned before, she's a fellow cranberry grower. So I know her through this side of the industry. So thank you, Jenna, for hopping on here tonight. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to sit down and chat with you for a little while. <laughs> so let's just, let's just jump right into it because you have such a unique you, like your, your life is so fun. Like I see, I follow you on Instagram and just like all of your adventures are so fun. Um, so let's, let's start on the cranberry side of things. Tell me a little bit about where you're from, what you do, um, how your marsh was started, all that other fun stuff, what you do out there. Yes. Yeah, so I'm a fourth generation grower. Um, my marsh is located in central Wisconsin, just a bit North of where your family farm is. Uh, our marsh was established in 1876 by a pair of uh, immigrants from Ireland, they're, they're brothers, and they found their way to this area and just discovered, you know, like many other growers, uh, that cranberries grew naturally here, and so they decided to cultivate them for commercial use, and my great-grandpa, uh, Charlie, came to work here with his mother. They lived um, in a little town not too far from here. And she worked in uh, the cookhouse and helped um, prepare meals for the employees that were working here. And he just kind of followed her along to work and then kind of just grew up here. And when he was old enough to actually do physical farm work, he kind of attached himself to one of um, the brothers and owners and worked his way into a management position. And as things played out, both of the brothers actually passed away and they didn't have an heir to carry on the um, farm for their family. And so my great grandpa was able to purchase stock in the company and that's how it became part of our family. That's, that's a really cool story. I guess I didn't know that entire backstory behind it. So when, when did you say your, your marsh kind of came into operation? In 1876. Okay, so you guys have been around for a little while. <laughs> yep, yep. So we're kind of creeping in on that 150-year mark, which I think is pretty special, um, but definitely not unique. I think a lot of cranberry farms have, you know, a long, long history like that and are definitely multi-generational, which um, I think is really special in farming today and in agriculture. Uh, yeah. Um, so what was it like for you growing up out there? Did you always know, like I... I get this question all the time and it's something that I kind of laugh at just because of how, how much things change for me. Um, what was your experience like growing up on the marsh? Yeah, so I don't, like every farm, like as you know, is just run a little bit differently. My, um, my dad always worked here. Uh, he did take some time off. He was um, really athletic and he had a scholarship for uh, baseball and basketball in college and so he went kind of pursued that and then got an injury and then kind of dabbled in a few other things he went to the National Guard and then you know after a few kind of not I don't want to call failures but things that he explored and decided that weren't his passion he came back to work for my grandpa and that's how he got into cranberries and um, kind of the way our farm is set up my grandpa actually had three properties and then my dad had two brothers and a sister. So everyone was kind of involved a little bit. Um, and then each brother sort of worked under my grandpa, but kind of separately at the different properties. And um, this property that we're on at Gaynor Cranberry, we've always had a manager that has lived here. And 
uh, it's not been a uh, true family member. So I actually didn't grow up like physically living on the farm. My dad always, um, he came to the office and that's kind of how my experience was. My mom did the books for the cranberry. So I, they'd bring me to work with them. And like, I grew up here, but not necessarily like actually living on the farm. We always lived off the farm. Um, and like, I was in the back of my mind. I knew that I had the opportunity to be a cranberry grower and to continue the legacy for my family. But I don't know that if you would have asked 16 year old Jenna, what do you want to do when you grow up? Mm -hmm. That I would have answered, well, I want to be a cranberry farmer. Um, you know, I love animals. I have a passion for horses. And so for a little while there, I thought maybe that um, I might want to pursue like being a vet or just something more um, catered to horses. And then I think when I got to school, I went to school in Iowa and I, I um, got a degree in business management. And I think probably halfway through college, I really kind of realized that nothing was getting me excited about, you know, having a career outside of cranberries. And mm -hmm. so then I, that's kind of when I knew like, all right, I want to come back to the farm someday. How did that conversation go for you and your parents when you finally sat down with them and were like, Hey, I think this is what I want to do. Were they pretty supportive of that? Or were they like, well, <laughs> rethink your options and come back to me later? Uh, so I think it was always my, you know, I think my dad always wanted me to um, to come back here, but not like in. Uh, he never really put a lot of pressure on me and was like, "You need to, you need to do this." But you mm -hmm. know, the opportunity is here, so I think they definitely had. Uh, they were excited to have that conversation, and I work alongside my sister. She's eight years older than me, so she also kind of did the same thing. She moved to California, had a you know corporate job out there, and then kind of came to the same realization she didn't like being away from family and that she was being called back here and so she kind of paved the way by having that conversation and like asking to come back and you know they were more than happy to welcome her back and I think being away from the farm it, she'd already had that life experience and kind of you know worked the kinks out of doing stuff other than being a farmer so I think they felt like there didn't have to have that talk about, well, is this really what you want to do? Because she's already done that other stuff and kind of did the same thing. After college, my boyfriend and I lived in Oklahoma for eight years and kind of did some horse stuff while he was working as an assistant. So I had that life away from home too, uh, to kind of reinforce that this is where I wanted to be. Yeah. And I think that is so important. Um, at least from my perspective, I think it's so important that like the, the younger quote unquote kids get out away from the farm for a little bit and kind of experience something outside of their comfort zone before they make that final decision that they want to stay here forever. Because that's a big decision to make when you are, you know, fresh out of high school or, you know, a teenager to decide to never leave home and just stay here. So to have that you know, outside world experience and be able to work under someone other than your family members is a huge deal. And I think it kind of gave me a little bit more respect for my parents when I came back home, at least to kind of separate like boss from parent. I don't know if it was kind of the same for you, but I was able to like see my dad or see my mom as my boss and not always my, my dad or mom, if that makes sense. So that 
that outside experience really helped me in that sense. But I also think it's really, I think it's kind of unique that so many cranberry growers have that opportunity and always seem to come back home. Like there's always, it seems like there's always at least like one kid in the family that always feels that pull. Um, and I don't know how you, how you describe that to people, but like what, what was something that you missed when you were away or like what, what kind of pull did you feel to come back home? I think it, I had, uh, the older I got, the more I appreciated the heritage of our farm and the longevity um, and the hard work that my grandpa and my great grandpa and my dad put into this place and um, like just the legacy they created. And I feel like that really just, I get emotional about it. Like mm -hmm. it's just something really special and the way of life, like, you know, obviously it, it we all, you know, can have a comfortable life and, you know, there's a financial um, blessing that goes along with this, but I just think that doing this has given me and, you know, I was raised like a certain way and we were able to, you know, take trips and do a lot of stuff as a family. And I was able to have horses and travel with them and pursue those passions because of this farm. And I just, I didn't want to give that up. And I wanted to continue that. And I would love to continue that for the next generation. I just think it's a really unique opportunity. And I think it's those intangibles. That's what really brought me back. And, you know, having a, uh, you know, that's not a, you know, the money part isn't just guaranteed, you know, that's, you know, a great and all, but I think it's all those other little things mm -hmm. that are what really brought me back. Yeah. Money is not a motivation for me whatsoever. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent, especially like this time of year, it always, this is something that I always miss was like late spring, <clears throat> kind of early summer on the marsh, just when everything is growing and just not having that experience anywhere else and coming back home and being like, oh, look at all these little baby animals that are growing alongside like the fruit that's developing. And like, there's just so much uniqueness out here that you can't experience anywhere else. And it's like something that I definitely took for granted when I was younger you know, waking up and having all this outside of your front door um, and then going into a city where it's like, you just constantly have to lock your door and double check to make sure your windows are locked. Like that's not fun for me, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something that I took for granted that I don't anymore. And it's just, it's, there's like, there's a reason why there's so many growers that keep coming back. It's just such a cool way of life. Like it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Yeah, and I think amongst the growers too, we have a really unique community. Community, um, you know, it's, we're all very concentrated in this central Wisconsin mm -hmm. area. And being a small industry, I feel like we have to lean on each other for you know innovations. And you know, I can count on my neighbors if I need something or they need something. Like we all really work together um, out of you know somewhat of a necessity. We share resources, but also just we're good neighbors. And I don't mm -hmm. think. Um, I don't know if you find that in other egg. I think it's a bit more competitive. Yeah. And especially with us out here, like we're all family, like literally actually blood family too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was always like when I was in high school, like I had to, I had to bring home the names of the guys that, you know, I was interested in and be like, okay, like, I, am, yeah, I am I related to any of these? <laughs> yeah. 
So thankfully Dan was from far enough away where I didn't have to worry about it. But yeah, you're in the clear. You're like, all right, we're not cousins. <laughs> yeah. Bring in some fresh blood, bring in a new last name around here. <laughs> um so so you you have sisters, you don't have any brothers, right? Correct. Yeah. And is it just the one sister that is involved on the marsh with you guys? Yep. Uh, my sisters are identical twins. We're eight years apart and I work with one of them. And then my other sister um, has her own deal and she lives in Milwaukee and is an amazing mom and her husband works um, there and yeah, they're, they're city people and they love it. And <laughs> I love that for them. <laughs> yeah, they can have that good for them, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stay where I'm at. Um, so what, what kind of, I know this is a stupid question to ask a farmer, but like, what are your, what, what does a typical day look like for you? What are kind of some of your responsibilities around the marsh? Yeah. So our kind of dynamic around here is my uh, mom and dad are somewhat retired, but like typical farmers will never be fully retired, but they're mm -hmm. always going to want to know what's going on and, you know, be a part of the conversation. But uh, my dad is pretty much handed the reins over to my sister and I, so we kind of make the shots, you know, day to day. Um, Heidi's responsibilities cater more towards the business side. Uh, she takes care of payroll, bills, insurance, you know, paperwork. She loves being at her desk. She is amazing with her computer and her spreadsheets, and she's a numbers girl, and I love that, and <laughs> I am not that girl. <laughs> so thankfully, her strengths and my weaknesses um, balance each other out, um, and so we divide and conquer a lot. Uh, my day-to-day, -day, uh, I get here in the morning, I drive around, and I take a lap through the marsh, and I look at the plants and see what they're doing, um, and then depending on the time of the year, as you know, there's just different things to tackle. So like right now we're just working on, do they need more fertilizer? Have they had enough fertilizer? You know, what's the weather gonna do? Um, we're kind of getting ready and preparing for winter projects. We're working on making a sand pile right now. And the other guys are just keeping up on mowing. Uh, so I just kind of, usually in the morning, just kind of get a grasp of what my team is doing, um, usually, talk with our manager and just see if he needs anything from me and you know like I said if it's fertilizer time I take inventory of what product we have um, we have an IPM team too we utilize Pam so on Tuesdays I have like check her report see what if there's anything I need to do or what she has to say or um, just if they have any things that I may have missed um, during harvest uh, it's actually kind of complicated. So last year was actually my very first year of being there from start to finish. Uh, otherwise, I have a really large horse show that conflicts with harvest. And so I um, have been in and out before. So last year was actually kind of fun that I got to work harvest every single day. So I drove a tractor and helped boomberries in and then kept track of the deliveries. And then after harvest, I just do a lot of data tracking to see what the crop came in as and, you know, make comparisons from year to year. And um, that's about the extent of my computer work is basically like crop data stuff. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, so <laughs> cranberries are hard because like there's, there's so many different, different ways to go about it. it I feel like it's, it's a very, 
someone told me once like, oh my gosh, I had no idea your plants are so bougie. Like they just require so much, (laughs) so much fine tuning. Um, And there's like no school or anything to kind of learn all of this. So did you learn a lot of like your vine health tips and tricks from your dad or do you like, what, what do you do to keep up on top of all this stuff? Yeah, I think the most valuable thing for me, I mean, obviously I utilize uh, when we have workshops, you know, put on by the Growers Association and I go to those and I pay attention to that. But I think just doing this day in and day out is where you learn the most. Uh, Our manager has been with us for over 50 years. His dad worked for my grandpa as well. So, you know, he's basically like another family member. And he knows this marsh like the back of his hand. So he's a huge asset um, for information and, you know, the ins and outs of how this property works. And I think just kind of year to year doing, you know, little experiments here and there or kind of taking, you know, what my dad's done. And then maybe if I've gathered some information by talking to other growers, you know, like like try this or try that, because I think you know, cranberries are so unique and what works really well on my property maybe doesn't even work good for my neighbor or Mm -hmm. for you. Um, So I think you just have to kind of gather all the information you can by networking, but then also kind of balance that with knowing what works for you here or, you know, at your own property. Um, But yeah, like you said, there's not just one recipe for growing cranberries. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I think the, like the multiple generations, I think that really comes into play too. That's why you don't see a lot of like new growers popping up all over the place, just because it is so fine tuned that you really need to know what you're doing in order to be successful. And that's not something that you can learn within a year or two. Um, So yeah, I think it, you really need to, again, rely on your neighbors, your family members or whoever else to help you out until you kind of get the hang of things and, and start figuring things out for yourself. That's something that I'm kind of going through right now too, um, is kind of going, we're kind of going through that generational change, uh, where my dad is kind of like your dad, where he, he kind of wants to take a couple of steps back, but doesn't want to leave entirely. But, um, so it's a lot of just riding around with him and just kind of doing scouting every day and, figuring out what different colors of vines mean and like, oh, well, this red means, you know, like this red could be like insect damage or this red could mean that it's growing. So it's not necessarily bad when you see this color and, you know, like all these other different tips and tricks. And so, yeah, um, there's just a lot, there's a lot to learn and, <laughs> and it's a little overwhelming sometimes, but um, is there anything that you do to kind of help you keep track of like every, like, do you, do you keep a journal or anything to look back on at the end of the year Uh, or anything like that? I don't know that I keep like a real regular journal, but I have like this big, well, the listeners can't see, but this bookshelf (laughs) behind me is like, there's a binder for current year. And then I have binders for like historical stuff. And so I just keep all that on hand. And if I can have something that's significant or that I didn't like or really liked, I might make a note of that. 
And then usually when I start to plan out things for the year, I might reference what worked well the year before or say, you know, we had our biggest crop ever in this year. I'm constantly like, what did we do different that year? Mm -hmm. Like, or was there something that we did different that year? Or was it just a fluke? Um, So I kind of reference like our all-star years (laughs) and say like, how do we replicate this again? Um, And I don't really, yeah, I don't really keep a journal or take notes. It's, and I think it is just repetition of doing it year after year, you kind of learn, all right, well, this variety, um, as much as I want it to look like this new fancy hybrid, it mm-hmm. won't ever do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so then you kind of got to reel yourself back in and be like, all right, this is what it is, what it is. And I just have to let it, you know, let it be itself and not compare it to the new fancy one. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so kind of wrapping up with the cranberry side of things, what is something that you see as um, kind of a, a struggle for the industry coming within like the next five, 10 years? Uh, I think it's <laughs> a good question. I think it could be two-sided. Like as far as like the consumer side, I worry that people will lose interest in cranberry products if we don't have more innovation um, for the health benefits of how great the fruit is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think that the consumers right now, they're very aware of what is in their products and um, they don't focus on like all the good things cranberries can do for them. And they, you know, worry about sugar or, you know, they don't purchase juice and, um, So like that part, I have concerns that we aren't innovating fast enough to keep up with uh, what consumers want. As far as like the farm side of things, you know, I always, you know, without being like too political, I think (laughs) that, uh, yeah, I I don't want to get political, but I do think (laughs) there there can be outside threats to um, the farms or people who don't live here and this isn't their bread and butter. And they don't take the time to understand that, you know, we live on these farms, you know, we raise our families on these farms. Um, We're not trying to ruin the environment or anything like that or poison consumers. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're doing our best to be sustainable. And I don't know that uh, we get enough credit for that either. Yeah. And that's why I think it was so cool that Ocean Spray came out with that we were the first 100% sustainable crop as of 2020. Um, and I don't think that got enough hype that it deserved. Cause I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a huge deal, but yeah, there's just so much lack of knowledge around our industry. So I think that was a big reason why I started, um, my Instagram page was just to bring awareness to that. And I think you're doing a great job of sharing that on your, on your Instagram too. You have a lot of fun stuff on there. Um, <laughs> And so, so kind of switching gears, you, you're a big horse gal. I know nothing about horses. Um, I would probably call them, uh, brands of horses. Like I do with cows because I know literally next to nothing about them. So, (laughs) so learn me something a little bit about your horses. How did this whole thing start? Like, where did this passion come from? What do you do? How long have you been doing it? What's, what's the rundown there? 
Oh, well, it all started when I think I was like six years old and my cousin showed horses through 4-H and um, I decided that I wanted to take riding lessons. And I'm sure my parents thought that this was going to be a fun summer hobby for Jenna <laughs> that she would grow out of shortly. <laughs> well, we took lessons and then all of a sudden I wasn't getting bored with it. And all I wanted to do was ride horses. So my parents bought me on my very first horse when I think I was 11 and um, it just snowballed from there. Uh, yeah, like I said, I started riding when I was six and now I'm 35 and I have four horses right now. Um, and it's just something that I started showing 4-H, which I love 4-H. That's a wonderful program. And then I did some open shows and then I graduated to more breed shows and kind of showed in the state, showed in the, uh, the Midwest, and then kind of started branching out to more national shows. And that's kind of where I'm at now. We do um, kind of the same set of shows each year and they're usually kind of the same time, same places, but they are national level shows. Um, I just really love uh, working with horses. I really like young horses. Uh, I get a lot of satisfaction from, you know, it's hard to raise one and then it have, it grow up and be competitive enough to show at the level that I want to show at but I get you know when it does work out there's nothing better than me like I created this little thing and now it's winning me trophies and prizes like I just I love that and like the, their personalities are also really unique and it's just really fun to see them progress from not ever having a halter on to going around and having like all these really fancy broke show horse buttons where they listen to my voice or I can shift my weight in my saddle and they, you know, respond with their body. Um, it's just, it's really satisfying to do that with a 1200 pound animal. So what exactly is a horse show? Like walk me through, is this like a, a week long thing? Is it like, what, what, what happens there? So there's diff like, I, like I said, there's different levels. Some of the shows that we go to are, you know, more of a weekend type. So like uh, you might arrive on a Thursday and finish on a Sunday. And then some of the larger shows that we go to might be a week to 10 days. Um, the event that I show in is called Western Pleasure. It's judged on the movement of the horse. So like basically if you've seen a dog show on TV, when they track the dogs around, they're watching the way their legs move. And like for that breed, there's probably a specific set of guidelines that the judge has been trained on. So they you know, like know what their ideal um, look should be. And then they compare the dogs, you know, to whatever the standard is. So it's the same thing with the horses. Uh, we show all the horses will show together um, at one time in the arena, and then the judges will kind of rank them according to who's the closest to what is ideal, and then, you know, so far down. Um, the event that I show in is divided up amongst professionals and non-professionals. I do show as a non-professional, uh, and also then, like, they level the playing field by the horse's age as well, and then some of the larger events, too, even the riders are in different divisions, so someone that's been doing this a long time and that has earned a lot of money doesn't have to show with someone who's maybe just starting out. So they kind of level the playing fields that way too. This is all just so, <laughs> just so foreign <laughs> to me. It's so interesting. How, 
so you train these horses to like move and and stuff this way how how like what do you, <laughs> what do you well, actually, do like how did you get into that um well I just think that I I like the way western pleasure horses look and for the most part they're actually like through generations they're bred to move a certain way so for the most part it's very natural for them to carry themselves and then as a horse trainer it's their job to kind of teach them body position and just like the more of the finessing of like to like do the different gates and like I don't know how to put it into words but <laughs> it's not like they're really training them where to put their feet it's more or less just they're holding their body in a certain way for so it's you know it's just naturally easy for them to look the way that they're supposed to look and it's you know there's different levels of talent in horses too it's some you can start them under saddle and they're ready to show in six months. And some, it might take, you know, two years, just depending on like their physical ability. And some are, you know, more mentally mature as well. Uh, it's definitely a process, but yeah, as like riders and trainers, they try not to like get in the way of the horses. They're basically just kind of teaching them, you know, body, like I said, the body position and, um, the cues from the rider and it's it's they I don't know try not to complicate it more than that that's so interesting um so you have a business with your boyfriend and and you train horses is that what he does so I don't take I technically am not a trainer um I have an am like I am an amateur so I don't like accept any money for riding horses I help him, um, that is his bread and butter. He owns his own business, but I just kind of help him with the, the management side of things. I help him do his book work. I um, help him with his schedule, uh, do payroll, stuff like that. More of like the, the book side of things as far as that goes. And I just try to keep him organized. I help him communicate with all of his clients and I just set our schedule for the year and you know, all the little tedious things that, so he can just focus on riding horses and the care of the horses. And he doesn't have to worry about like, oh, do we have a hotel room booked for this show or that show? Or, you know, are all the bills paid or, you know, like, do we need to schedule the vet to come out to do this or that, you know, stuff like that. I just take care of for him. And he's down in Oklahoma. He lives in Iowa, Iowa. Okay. So not. Yep. It's not that far. So yeah, no, we did live in Oklahoma. Um, they don't, there's not really a college for horse training. So a young person that is interested in becoming a professional, uh, most likely will go find the best person that they can in that particular, whatever discipline that they want. And then like apprenticeship or be an assistant for them and try and learn as much as they can before going out on their own. So that's what he did. He went to work for a very well-known guy down in Oklahoma for eight years before starting his own business back in Iowa. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> so does he board house horses? Is that, is that the right term? Like, does he keep them on his property? Yes. Yeah, so right now uh, he just leases a facility. Um, somebody else owns it and he pays per stall for each horse that he has in training. And that, which is kind of a nice deal because it takes a lot of the burden of 
like some of the management off of our shoulders, like the facility takes care of purchasing all the feed and they make their own hay and they hire the people to do the chores and clean the stalls. And so a lot of that responsibility isn't on us as we're paying for, for that, which is really nice. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so from some, just the little that I know, it looks like you are doing pretty well this year, like you have a horse that is just kicking ass and taking names this year. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's one that I raised. I showed his mom. Um, and then I was able to get one baby from her before I um, ended up selling her. And uh, so he's special to me just because he's like my baby boy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he just, he was a little bit of a late bloomer. He just, he kind of grew really big and was like, a gangly nerd for a little while. <laughs> uh, he's got a really big personality. Um, he's he's really funny. Um, sometimes he pushes my buttons, but I think that like you know, really talented athletes all have big egos and strange personalities. I think he's a really talented horse, but he comes with a big personality and a lot of quirks. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's been really fun so far, and I'm looking forward to showing him later this summer and this fall. I think he, we're just starting to peel the layers off. He's got a lot more in the tank, so I'm excited for him. That's, that's fun. So do you, do you have like a certain breed of horse that you kind of stick with? Like, is that as big of a thing with, with you guys? Like, I don't know how this. <laughs> yeah, so um, all of my horses I have now are quarter horses, uh, like a stock type breed, but they all are registered quarter horses. And we usually stick to um, quarter horse breed shows, or there's another um, association that puts on shows called the National Snaffle Bit Association. And it is open to all kinds of different breeds. And it's more based on like um, the show will hold classes for the different disciplines, but all breeds are welcome to show. And their shows also cater more towards like earning money versus like points, um, where the quarter horse shows maybe are more towards points, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we tend to go to these NSBA shows. Um, they offer more classes for the younger horses, which is also what uh, my boyfriend likes to focus on. He really likes riding younger horses. So you're, you're obviously pretty busy. How do you, how do you balance life on the marsh with, with all of these shows and like keeping up with all of this behind the scenes work? Like what, do you have time to relax? What do you like to do to relax? <laughs> <laughs> For me, the horses are relaxing, um, you know, and just the way our farm kind of has been run and then with my sister and I balancing things you know it gives me the freedom to be able to still pursue the horses and to have you know life away from the farm but still be able to do what I need to do on the marsh um, to make it successful and it, you know same thing with Heidi uh, because I take basically half the responsibility it gives her freedom to do stuff with her family and you know she likes to ski and she loves soccer and traveling so it you know it's a good balance between the two of us that you know we've kind of divide and conquer uh marsh tasks 
so that, you know, we can all have fun on the side. So when it comes time for you to kind of take a step back and quote unquote retire, do you think <laughs> you are going to stay up here on the marsh or do you see yourself spending more time down with the horses or oh, too soon to tell? Good, that's <laughs> a good question. I, you know, um, Den and I don't really talk about retirement a lot. I do know that uh, he is like, he goes hard now and he loves to work and he has a lot of horses in training. Um, but I do think that he sees the value in having a life beyond horses. And given that I would say that you don't see a lot of hard riding cowboys in their seventies, <laughs> at some point he'll, he will have to scale back. Um, and I think having the marsh is a good opportunity for maybe us someday to transition here. Um, if he ever, you know, felt like he wanted to do that uh, and have a smaller operation, or maybe we just do it for ourselves and not have clients anymore someday. But um, yeah, I think I, I could definitely see myself stepping back, but you know, I also like to, I don't know. I just, I want to make sure that this is, continues on for the next generation as well mm -hmm. yeah I, I definitely agree with you there <laughs> so um we'll, we'll end on that note we'll end on the heavy note <laughs> but before I let you go I'm going to throw some a couple of rapid fire questions at you so whatever just pops into your mind you, you just have to blurt it out so I haven't thought about these ahead of time, so it's going to be very random for me too. So I hope you are ready Excellent. for this shit show. <clears throat> so if you are at a cookout and they have brats and burgers, what are you choosing? Brat, 100%. I'm going to take a brat. What do you put on it? I keep it simple. I just like ketchup and mustard. Me too. There's a rare occasion where I just need like the sauerkraut and mustard route, but usually ketchup and mustard is my go-to. Yeah. Um, let's see. If you could be on any reality TV show, what would you choose? <laughs> Man, that's tough. I don't watch a lot of reality TV. I really like to cook. So like the like the guys grocery games yep. on the food network. Like, I think I could whip something up like that, but like a survivor or something like that, I would, I'd be out in the first round. Oh, you know, what else would be really fun is I don't know if you watched Nickelodeon a lot growing up, but they used to have that one um, game show with like the, oh gosh, what was it called? Where they would at the very end, they ended up like climbing up this huge mountain. Oh, was it? Uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple? Uh, not that one. It's the same host, though, I think. I mean, no. Double Dare? No. It was like a gladiator style. Like, they had different oh. rounds. And then, like, the top two got to try and... Oh, what the heck was it called? Like, I'm going to oh, think of this man. tonight at like three o'clock in the morning and I'm just going to They'd be shoot like you a climbing this fake mountain. And then all of a sudden, like this thing would spring out and they'd fly off or like they'd get blasted in the face with confetti. Like, I think I 
maybe we could do that it's like a gladiator <laughs> style like competition show <laughs> have you have you done anything like that before uh one year uh my friends and I did this zombie mud run and that was it was like tough mudder but shorter and then also being chased by zombies and you wore like a flag football belt and then you had like two flags and then if you lost both of the flags and you became infected and you yeah I think I made it almost all the way through and I lost both of mine in like this mud pit thing but that's about the only gladiator style event I think I've participated in <laughs> that sounds fun though was it a 5k I think so I think uh, I think it was around three miles and it was yeah different obstacle courses like a like monkey bars and um, there was like a muddy pit and I think you had to climb over like some big bales of straw and like a rope swing plus running while people are chasing you. <laughs> That's the only way I could do a 5k or something is if someone was chasing me there's no way I would want to do that just on my own free will. So I give credit uh, yeah, to you for I've, that had a short period of time in my life where I wanted to be a runner and I did do a half marathon and then I started training for a full and I made it to like 18 miles and then I ended up having a schedule conflict and so then that I quit running after that I was like what am I thinking <laughs> 18 miles good grief good for yeah. you but are you okay <laughs> yeah I've never been so sore <laughs> Except for that day after my uh, half marathon, like I couldn't hurt every bone in my body hurt. I was like, yeah, I don't know how people find that enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I'm glad I set or I did this. Like I said, I was going to do it and I did it. And then I'm like, yeah, I think I'm done with this phase of my life where I run for an extended period of time. <laughs> um, <laughs> now I'm just happy to take my dog for a walk. Yeah. That's same here. <laughs> that's enough for me. Um, so obviously you have a dog, so you're more of a dog person than a cat person. Yes. And, uh, I have an appreciation for cats. I like them in the barn, but I just, I'm not a house cat person. That's fair. What kind of dog is, is Mr. Willie? He's a cutie. Will, Willie is a miniature Australian shepherd. I've though like he's 14 and at the time that's what they called them I believe now they are recognized as an American shepherd or American hmm. mini American shepherd if you're trying to google them but yeah when I um whenever I take him anywhere they're like oh what is he like a mini Bernie's or yeah. is he like a King Cavalier because he kind of has like a a shorter nose for a Australian shepherd um or like a mini border collie so yeah that's what I think like when I saw Willie I was like oh he looks like a little mini bear he's cute yeah he's a mini bear <laughs> he's a little bear cub <laughs> <laughs> um one last question and uh this is always a hard one for me but if you are going to a church potluck what are you making what are you making or what's the first thing that you're taking from a potluck? Like, what's that one thing you're like, yep, need this. I, uh, I don't, I should, I would probably a really terrible cranberry grower for saying this, but my first instinct is 
I would more of a Wisconsin girl, I'm probably going to bring like a cheese plate with some sausage or <laughs> something, not anything really cranberry related, unless I yeah. bring some juice and Tito's, <laughs> but that's not to a church picnic. <laughs> um, what is your, what's your favorite cranberry product? Like homemade off the shelf. What, what are you grabbing? Um, I'm really into the raspberry lemonade, sweet and dried cranberries. Mm-hmm. Those are good. But like, as far as homemade, my mom makes this really bomb cake with uh, cream cheese frosting. It's basically like a vanilla cake with whole cranberries in it. And then just cream cheese frosting. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'll make it. And all my horse show friends are like, where is the cranberry cake? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. As soon as, like, as soon as you said your mom, I was like, I bet it's cranberry cake. (laughs) Yeah. Sue makes some bomb cranberry cake. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Jenna, thank you for hopping on here tonight. I appreciate your time and your willingness to dumb down horse shows for me because I, I learned a lot tonight. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for being here. (laughs) Um, Jenna, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they follow you at? My Instagram is at Jennifer Iris 22 and my Facebook is just my name, Jenna Dempsey. And I will tag you in the show notes and on Instagram, your handle and stuff too. So people can find you there. So thank you again for hopping on tonight. I appreciate it. And if you guys um, haven't subscribed yet, you can find us on your favorite podcast streaming services. And if you haven't left us a review and rating yet, feel free to do so on Apple and Facebook. We really appreciate that. Um, Again, you can find us on social media at Forward Farming Podcast. I'm over at Cranberry Chats and Becca and her cute little babies are over at Farming with the Hillbies if you want to keep up with all of our adventures. So thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.